Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, February 27th, 2022, Transfiguration Sunday, is entitled Highs and Lows. It's a reflection on a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 43a. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Beloved, our scripture reading today comes from the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Let's listen together for a living word from God for us in these words from Luke, chapter 9. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James And went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two others, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. Beloved, God is still speaking to the world and to us. May our hearts be open to listen and to respond. Amen. The Christian liturgical calendar, when you think about it, if you think about it, may seem at once the very quintessence of both humdrum and esoteric. Humdrum because it can be kind of hard to get excited about another Sunday after Sunday after Sunday spinning from Advent to Christmas to Epiphany to Lent to Easter to Pentecost and back around to Advent again. Like the side of the tank endlessly slipping past the unremarking eye of the goldfish. It's just there. So we go through the motions. Oh, it's Advent? Haul out the candles. Epiphany? 
Where's the star? Lent, grab the ashes. And esoteric because, well, why? Why any of it? Take, take today, for instance. According to the liturgical calendar, today is the Feast of the Transfiguration. When we are supposed to tell this story, of that time Jesus went up on a mountain with a couple of the disciples and was, you know, transfigured. A fancy church word for changed. So what to the wondering eyes of the disciples should appear, but Jesus changed. Yes, glowing. In fact, his clothes shining with on the one side Moses, the great lawgiver, and on the other Elijah, the great prophet, both long dead. Quite literally struck by the sight, the disciples can't do so much more than babble. Not really knowing what to say or why or who or huh. Something about booths. But wait, there's more. While they are watching this transfigured, transdimensional confab, a cloud envelops the top of the mountain and them along with it, engulfing them in total darkness. And as if that's not terrifying enough, a disembodied voice booms out from the darkness everywhere and nowhere at once. I am his father. Listen to him. Then, just as suddenly as it started, it's over. The entire experience dissipating like wisps of cloud until it's just them and Jesus once more alone on the mountaintop. And we're told they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. But really, what could they say? What are we supposed to say about these things, especially reading about them as we are at a 2,000-year remove? At least with the usual magical miracle stories, there's often a pretty simple-to-grasp point involved, like trust that there is enough, or love heals, or some such. But this fancy transfiguration with a capital T What is it? Aside from some sort of heavenly sound and light show, what are we supposed to do? Clap? What are we supposed to do with this? And why? Aside from the fact that we see it on the calendar, we read the story, we sing a hymn, and move on to the next thing. So, esoteric and humdrum all at once. An odd little disconnected oasis of light and sound and glory. A high point, literally, in the midst of a larger story, which, well, to be honest, much of the time we're not all too clear on what we're supposed to do with that either. But Sunday after Sunday, year in and year out, we do it. As though that's what being Christian is all about. Frankly, I have a hard time seeing the connection between this glory story and the, oh, well, let's call them challenges of our everyday world. Everyday days, weeks, months, years. 
hours like we're living through now. Then one day, let's imagine just for fun, you're preparing your umpteenth sermon on the transfiguration. Trying to come up with something to say again, reading the text again, again. When suddenly you notice that the citation for this Sunday in the Revised Common Lectionary that guides our scripture readings week by week, next to the usual reading that we've already heard here today, Luke 9, verses 28 through 36, there is this little parenthetical note that one could, if one were so inclined, go on to read verses 37 through 43, but don't feel any pressure. Now, I'm sure that that note has been there as long as I have been in ministry. Longer, no doubt, than I have been alive. But honest to God, I do not remember ever actually reading those extra verses before. So let's do that. Something new, just to break up the humdrum of it all. On the next day, When they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met Jesus. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is only a child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? And turning to the man, bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon indeed dashed him to the ground in convulsions, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. Suddenly, it hit me. Here is the second half of the story. Here is the key to unlocking the otherwise esoteric secrets of the glory and bringing it back down to earth, literally. Here in Luke's gospel, once again, it's all about the mountains and valleys, as it has been since Jesus's mother Mary sang her upside-down song in chapter 2, and John the baptizer preached his message of divine reversal in chapter 3. And true to both of those prophets, it's not a matter of the lonely, lowly valley looking to the mighty mountain for meaning, but the other way around. The valley tells you what to make of the mountain. Tradition locates the site of the transfiguration at Mount Tabor, which stands between the Galilee of Jesus' birth and early ministry and the capital, Jerusalem, towards which Luke tells us Jesus has set his face and his intention where he will go and be killed. And the valley... The valley that Mount Tabor overlooks is the valley of Megiddo. 
the choke point in the Carmel Mountains, every invading army, and there have been so many of them, had to pass. In the sight of many, many bloody battles over the 16 centuries from the Bronze Age to World War I. Megiddo was so infamous, so synonymous with conflict that a tradition grew up that the very last battle, the battle to end all battles between the forces of good and evil prophesied by John in his book of Revelation would take place there. Only John used the Greek name, Armageddon. Jesus climbs down from Mount Tabor to walk into that valley. We're far from the rarefied air. Crowds are surging this way and that, looking for, for refuge, for safety, for healing, for liberation, for justice, for peace, for hope, for help. Where an anxious parent lives with their child who suffers in the grip of an evil spirit that convulses him, mauls him, and will scarcely leave him. Where a great many anxious parents live, frightened for themselves and for their children in a world continually convulsed with fear and anger, hatred and hurt, oppression and injustice, war and poverty, and all their attendant stresses, depression, addiction, malaise, despair, apathy. This valley where we live, where Jesus' other disciples have already tried to fix what is broken and have failed. Where we, as the church and individual followers of Christ, the Prince of Peace, have failed. Let's just sit with that for a moment. And let the news from Ukraine, from Texas, from simultaneously neglected and over-policed communities across town and across the country, from the groaning and overburdened people and planet Earth settle thick around us here at our very lowest point, here on the floor of the valley. Beloved, it is okay to feel our failures. It is okay even to feel like a failure, to feel overwhelmed and ill-prepared to face these challenges and solve these problems. If history tells us anything, it's that we come from a long line of failures. Of course we do, or this wouldn't keep happening, would it? And Jesus Jesus comes to us here, not setting aside some heavenly glory, but rather bringing it to us, changed, transfigured, infusing it into us here, not as some sort of super soldier serum, but as hope and perseverance and a hope that goes far beyond our power to persevere. 
After all, as Jesus was just telling his disciples in the verses before they went up on the mountain, his own mission will be a failure. In every way the world counts such things. The Son of Man, the one who embodies the deep humanity of God's perfect intention, will suffer and be rejected, will be killed. He will do the right thing and lose. And he will keep on doing the right thing and keep on losing and losing and losing until one impossible Easter morning, all the losing will be over for everyone everywhere and love will win. Because as the angel told his own mother, nothing is impossible with God. This is how the valley interprets the mountain. The glory of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus, the glory which he brings us, in which we in turn are called to manifest, isn't the high up and far away glory of the mountaintop. It is the glory of God emptied and brought low in order to be shared among the lowly, the losers the least of these. It is the glory of love in action, not just reflection. It is love put to work healing the sick and binding up the brokenhearted, lifting the lowly and supporting the weak, speaking truth to power and peace, to war and life, to death, in order to break the wheel of empire and domination once and for all. Unless we forget, it is love that loses and loses everything. Everything the world deems glorious, all the bright and shiny objects with which we surround ourselves or seek to, this love loses it all over and over again because it is worth fighting for. And all the upside down and inside out ways that love fights. It is worth losing for and even worth dying for because against all odds and all evidence, we believe that another world, a better world, is possible. On this Transfiguration Sunday, do you really want to know what the mountain means? What glory means? Look in the valley. Look to Jesus there. Follow Jesus. Follow him to all the suffering haunts of humanity, to Jerusalem that murders the prophets, to the cross, to all the crosses, all the battles. Follow Jesus and lose with him so that in time the world may be one, if not for us, than for our children and our children's children. The question this story poses for us when we read all of it and not just half is not, why aren't we on top of the mountain? But what are we doing in the valley? Faithless and perverse, stubborn, and without the good sense God gave a goose, we don't have to win 
but Jesus does encourage us to try. Leads us to try and keep trying. Leads us by his own example. Because Jesus believes. I believe. Our answer to that question, what are we doing here in the valley, has the power to change us. To transfigure us along with Jesus and eventually to change the world. Glory to God. Say it again. Glory to God. Nothing is impossible. Not just for God, but with God. And beloved, the entire witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ rests on this revelation that God doesn't just keep to the heights, but God is with the poor and the poor in spirit of this valley, of every valley. We can do hard things. The impossible will take a little while. We can end wars. We can end anti-transgender hatred. We can end racism and the exploitation of the earth and every other ill. We can do justice and build peace in time if if we are willing to lose a lot on the way. But please, God, please, God, for the sake of those suffering now, we are bold to pray with Jesus right at our side. Let your reign come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let it be soon. Please, God, let it be now. And let it begin with us. Let it begin in us again and again and again and again. Friends, if you have heard a word from God for you today, remember to give all honor and yes, glory to our one God, creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.